Welcome back, everybody. This is Lynn Gilliland. This is a podcast that's hosted by both Humentum and LG Consulting. This is Lessons from Leaders. And I'm so happy here to have here with us Tessie St. Martin, who um, we found out we have a we have some commonality in our in our from our youth, which she's the only person that I've known who has this. This is going to come up later in the conversation. So welcome, Tessie. Lynn, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and have a, this uh, opportunity. So let's let's just jump in now that I gave that little teaser. So just talk about how you. Um, how you got it, you know your first experiences in this field i'm thinking how to frame it because i think we also talked about how your early experiences developed you as a leader so okay yeah and talk about what you did back in back in the day back in the day yeah no because we talked about so what are those ex experiences in in life that that shape you um uh, and and we discussed uh, Amigos de las Americas, um, which is a program that you and I both did. Um, uh, and uh, I did, I did, uh, and so Amigos de las Americas, for those uh, people that don't know, it's a, it's a um, international NGO based in, I think, Houston, Texas. And at the time, way back when, in the 20th century, when I um, connected to Amigos, they were um, basically uh, uh, preparing youth to go to Latin America for three to five weeks during the summer. Um, and at the time, it was actually to support vaccination programs, <laughs> which is, you know, when you think about it now, it's a little crazy. Um, today, Amigos continues and they're doing terrific work, but it's around community development. Um, so they're no longer vaccinating. But when I was, um, you know, when I got engaged uh, with them and, and, and it's really a, a very interesting thing because you learn a lot about, you know, the areas where you're going. Um, and uh, obviously at the time also, you know, you, you learn about sort of vaccination, um, but you also uh, end up learning a lot about yourself. I was at the time um, and I was in, in high school, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, I got sent to Paraguay for five weeks. And the irony, of course, is that, you know, I'm fluent in Spanish, and I was sent to like the one place where I couldn't use it because um, they mostly speak Guarani there. So I had an interpreter um, the whole time, and I was sent to vaccinate uh, children against the measles. Uh, I had a, a partner from another part of the country, from Marin County. And uh, and so the two of us spent five weeks in the in rural areas in, in Paraguay. And then I came back the following year, the following two years as in in a in a staff or management position. Uh, the, in, when I was a junior, I ran a vaccination. I was responsible for running a vaccination program in a large city in Honduras, in La Ceiba. And then the following year, I was running the vaccination program in all of Western Honduras. And, um, and it's all to say that, um, you know, like I said, that showed that, well, first of all, I have never looked back in terms of wanting to do anything else. I was, I was hooked on the idea of making a difference um, uh, and, and helping, you know, and, and working with others 
in other countries, uh, you know, be able to create opportunities, you know, for themselves to 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 improve their own lives. In this case, it was through vaccinations um, and and public health. But but the international development bug had bitten me, and it never let go. So I never really thought of doing anything else. Because you had asked me if how, how I kind of ended up in international development. And my view is I never wanted to do anything else. Mm. Uh, and everything that I've done in my career has been different things and it's international development from different perspectives. I guess the other thing that I got from my experience with Amigos and, and I'm sure Lynn um, that you had, uh, you had it as well. It was a transformative experience for me, um, you know, sort of getting sent you know, to the, these uh, this region in Paraguay where nobody spoke uh, Spanish, or then being asked to organize, you know, a vaccination program at age what, like seventeen or whatever. Um, you know, once you, it, it was an enormous amount of responsibility and enormous amount of trust. I had really good guidance. I had really good leaders um, that were, you know, supporting me. Um, but you know, you come out from that experience. Uh, thinking you can do anything, right. uh, and uh, and and with a a, a sense of uh, self confidence, not not overconfidence, but a sense that you know I've been thrown into a very tough situation and I figured it out, and uh, and so you learn a lot about yourself, uh, and uh, you know and 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 how how to operate uh, in different uh, situations, how to make decisions how to communicate with others, how to lead others. I, I love that story and um, on several levels, partially because it's uh, in some of my own story, you know, I was in Guatemala, I was in Alta Vera Paz, I didn't speak Spanish, so um, and nobody could help me. And we were vaccinated, <laughs> we were vaccinated, there was nobody to translate, and we were vaccinating children against tuberculosis, which, you know, now, you know, again that's, that's a tough that's a tough vaccine to give you know, you by the way in, yeah 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 so just, uh, yeah yeah intradermal yeah that's uh yeah you know well but done I, I think when i'm listening to what comes up for me which i don't think i valued enough is it, it teaches you can do hard things you can do scary things you can do things that you had no inclination that you're capable of and and i like that for youth for anyone and then it's such a great ground to stand on as you as you go forward and i and i'm guessing that has been the case for you yeah uh, uh, absolutely because right i didn't have a course in management before i was given a team of seven people you know some of them older than me by the way to lead and then the following year a, a, a team of like 30 with i don't know uh, how many volunteers there were but like 50 or 60 you know and i was like in charge uh, there wasn't i didn't have a manual i didn't you know, but like i said i had sort of good bosses uh people that you could ask questions and good colleagues right and uh and that's also i think you learn um you know what what instincts you can trust Right. Uh, and and so on. Uh, yeah, a lot of leadership lessons, I have to say. I was just saying, good bosses, good colleagues. That's still the same recipe. One hundred percent, right? Yeah, uh, that's still the same recipe. So I like that also. Uh, yeah, it's, um, 
That just, I love that, that you have that. And shout out to Amigos de las Americas. Everybody look them up. Um, get your kids on them yourself. Yeah. If you have kids or if you're listening to this, you go. Uh, so, Tessie, yeah. just shifting gears, we, in, in my firm, we've been doing the 2023, we've been doing interviews about predictions for 2023. And I, I think I might have mentioned this to you. It's been a bit rough hearing people's predictions for next year. Mostly they're very, very challenging. Um, and so you and I were also talking about how, you know, the humanitarian and development sector how does it need to be today in go today and in the future um and how does one need to lead now and you were saying to me if i can quote you back to yourself um the 20th century construct or notion of what development it assistant it is no longer applies we are not operated we are operating in settings where we were not created to operate i wonder if you could speak to that unpack that i found that to be in uh, very useful in my own thinking all right yeah no thanks lynn and by the way before i answer that question just to um let me just address that comment about people feel that they're in challenging times and and, yeah. and i get that and i think that they are but but by the way in terms of you know transformative experiences let's all consider what we've all been through right uh, since March of 2020, um, uh, and uh, only because you know we, of course, you know you don't you don't want you know you, you need to look forward. You don't want to look back. But the fact of the matter is, if we all think back to sort of our own worlds in March of 2020, and just the very challenging and very fast-paced pivot we all had to do, right, in terms of reimagining. Um, uh, how we did business and what our own business models were when the when everything literally shut down and and what we all as leaders had to do to keep our organizations going. Um, I think collectively we've been through a lot, and the fact that you know by and large we're you know we've all emerged on the other side of it for better for worse you know with a lot of challenges still left, but you know kudos to you know, to this community for, you know, for, um, for adapting and adjusting and everything that's that that we have done collectively to really rethink, you know, how we do business. Um, let, me, but, let me just hold you that right there, because I yeah. want to affirm that also, like, again, the, the subtext is we can do hard things. That was incredible. Yeah, that was, yes. you know, whatever's ahead of us, it's not going to be that huge pivot from in one week which is more or less what happened um so i i like that again we're grounding and we can do hard things we've done hard things we've been successful so thank you for that yeah no and thanks for putting it that way we can do hard things and we have been doing hard things right. now to your question about the future yeah and we need to continue to do hard things and we need to continue to to sort of reimagine that the fact of the matter is that we're not you know, uh, somebody said, you know, we're not back to normal. We're in some new normal. And to a certain extent, we're in the process of, you know, creating what that new normal is, right, collectively. Mm -hmm. but, but, but I did, I did mention to you that I do think that our industry is at a very interesting, you know, point in time. 
Um, uh, and, and, and my observation was that, yes, that by and large, organiz- certainly organizations like mine, right, like FHI 360, you know, we've been around for more than 50 years. There's no question. We're a 20th century entity, mm-hmm. right, constructed to deliver on a vision, on a 20th century vision of what development is, how development happens where development knowledge resides, by the way, mostly the global north, right? That was the thinking. Um, and, um, and, and by the way, built to deliver development assistance in low resource settings. But, you know, w- w- you know the developing countries and there was this thinking that, you know, development is a linear thing and so on. Over the last, you know, 50 plus years, and certainly today, we're in a very different place. We know that development is not a linear process by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and by and large, we are operating in very different environments, not just low resource environments or sort of poor, but fragile and conflict affected. Um, um, something like uh, 80% of the countries where the United States Agency for International Development uh, provides funding, 80% of those countries today are fragile and conflict affected mm. and 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 by the way 60 percent of usaid's funding today is development assist uh, is humanitarian assistance not development assistance so that is an acknowledgement that the settings in which we were uh for which we were designed are not the settings where we're operating today and that i think is very different to be thinking about how do we, you know, how we are effective and how we deliver in fragile and conflict-affected settings than it is, you know, to be thinking about, well, how do we deliver in in low-resource settings? And I don't think that as a community, we've entirely wrapped our heads around that. I think the other thing that has changed is what I was talking about earlier is COVID. I think COVID demonstrated for all of us that, in fact, we are able to work different, that we, that this is not well, for starters, that the world does not end if the expert from Washington cannot get on an airplane <laughs> to go visit the project. That, in fact, there's a lot that can be delivered remotely. And that what matters at the end of the day is that last mile, those local organizations and the types of, um, you know, relationships we have with them and and the and their own ability to deliver for their communities. And so... In essence, what COVID has done is really accelerated what, uh, you know, what the administrator has called localization and locally led development. And so that means that all of us need to step back and rethink how do we remain relevant in this very different operational environment. And and so... How, for you, like, how do you lead, you, Tessie, lead through this time? Like, is it something, is it call out something different from you than, um, than you, you know, that you're noticing you need to do more of or back off a little bit? Or how do you think about your own leadership? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, I, our, our role as leaders is to a certain extent is to call that out. Okay. Right. And, yeah. and to say there is something substantially different about the environment in which we're in, which means that <clears throat> we need to contemplate rethinking our business models, how we're funded, 
how we're structured, how we operate, where decisions are made. Mm -hmm. All of that needs to be rethought. Uh, in our own uh, case, you know, at FHI 360, we've spent and will continue to spend time thinking about, you know, okay, what are our own prin uh, principles of locally led development? Um, the uh, USAID administrator, Samantha Power, has put out there that, you know, locally led development is an important objective of USAID. And, you know, I guess what I'm saying is we fully subscribe to that, but we also acknowledge that that's a very large change management mm. Uh, effort in our own organizations, just like she realizes that is a big change management effort in USAID. That is more, right? So as, as leaders, we, you know, just because you say something <laughs> doesn't mean it's going to happen. You really need to sweat the details and think about, so how do I begin to operationalize it? What does that mean for how we partner, how we design programs, how we deliver programs, how we do advocacy, how we do recruiting, how do we delegate authorities to, you know, closer to where um, the, uh, the 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 action is, as it were, uh, which m means then daring to reconf reconfigure and rethink the role of headquarters, um, uh, all of those things. We need to be able to raise those questions and, 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 and really sort of support the organization in this, you know, change management. So um, it, it, and that's a big task, Lynn, because Nobody, you know, I mean, everybody might acknowledge that you need to change, but nobody likes to do that because, you know, that's not everybody's happy place, right? <laughs> that's a scary thing because it means unpredictability. Uh, it means that just because I've been doing something a certain way today, I may not be doing it tomorrow, but that's okay. You know, um, I, I, I will say the the, the previous uh, USAID administrator, Mark Green, uh, used to say with some frequency, we're working ourselves out of a job. I don't think that's true. I think we're working ourselves collectively into new jobs, but that's always going to be a big change management effort, right? And that's the scary part. And so it's like, what comes up for me is like being the change management leader, like that's, that's the hat. That is a main hat that your one needs to be wearing. And what does that mean? What does that mean about leading everyone, leading yourself? We're, we're also, we're the, we're human beings too. We don't, we're going to shy away from scary changes without realizing why we're, why we're shying away. So it's a, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough place to be, right? I, I do think it's a, um, well, so in terms of staff, I think, and, and one's relationship with staff, I think communication is really important. I think transparency is really important. Candor, you know, no, you know, people can tell if you're just giving them a bunch of, right. you know, whatever. I mean, it, and, 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 and when people ask you tough questions like, you know, um, well, I've been asked in many cases, well, is there, you know, is, is there a big restructuring that's coming or what's happening to my job? And, you know, you can't say, oh, well, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Everything will be okay. We can, But what we can say is we're going to have a process. We're going to discuss it. You know, the process is going to be clear, you know, for everyone and we're going to move forward together. Um, but, but, you, but you can't be providing false assurances because people will see through that and then you will lose trust. 
and trust in this effort is, is uh, I think, is hugely important. I think the other thing that you mentioned is also really important. I mean, as CEOs, and you know, and, and you and I know it. I mean, it's a very lonely position. You know, who who do you talk to <laughs> uh, about you know your own set of insecurities and uncertainties you know we all get up in the middle of the night going you know is this going to work out or, or you know did i get it right what did i miss that's but that's the job and who do you talk to about this not your board necessarily those are your bosses right. and you you know and not your team either that's why actually these spaces like the ones that you're helping to create you know for 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 senior leaders for ceos is important because part of the message here i think is you're not alone you know and um and whatever you're going through somebody else is either grappling with the same thing or has grappled with it and that doesn't mean that they have the answer but it gives you ideas and and mostly it gives you the self-confidence to sort of step back and say you know to back to your first phrase yeah we can do hard things mm -hmm. I like that. It's both reaffirming. We can do hard things. You can do hard things and, and checking yourself. Like, am I going crazy here? Um, <laughs> and the third thing that I, that I hope for is that people are able to, it's scary to identify those uh, insecure places and name them, but that's the only way that we find out if we're going crazy or not you know, is to say, you know, I'm not sure that I might be pulling back on this because it's too risky or I'm afraid I'll get mud on my face or, or is it too risky? And then you get feedback. But, so people need to have that courage to be vulnerable with, with peers. I, I wish that for everyone. Yeah, really well said. And I, and I think the other thing that you need is to make sure, you know, we were talking about sort of good bosses and good, um, you know, good peers, good colleagues, it, it, you know, the other thing that's a danger in the CEO position is it's a bubble, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you have a lot of people going, hey, way to go. That was brilliant. Uh, but what you need are also people that say, boy, that was not well thought out. Or have you thought about this? Or I wouldn't do it this way. So people that, uh, you know, that are, you know, sort of self-confident enough or and with whom you have an, an open enough relationship that they can tell you things that you don't want to hear and you have to be willing to invite that in mm. and sometimes that's asking for it isn't it like so man you know what do you think about this idea that i'm having what advice do you have for me around what i'm talking about here you have to not just have an open style but actually call it forth. so listed that feedback yeah. and be careful right because you know, you're ready to go with initiative X and you could, you know, you could be told, well, that's a really bad idea. Then, you know, you have to be willing to sort of pause and interrogate that and be open to the feedback. At the end of the day, you may or may not take it, but you need to be open to the feedback. Otherwise, you'll never get feedback again. <laughs> no, that's for sure. I love the word interrogate, too. And that's hard to do. Like, I know all of this in theory, but when it's me, I'm like... <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs> i just want to normalize that for everyone also <laughs> yeah thank you lynn <laughs> the uh yeah <laughs> even though you may i may smile on the outside <laughs> Tessie, oh. 
any other we'll we'll need to start wrapping up anything else that you have top of mind you wanted to to share to talk about leadership in in our sector I, I guess, no, I mean, only to say, so we've been talking about sort of the scary parts and so on, but it's exciting as well, right? I mean, um, I, I for one, uh, you know, as, as, as scary as the moment is, and, and it is, right? Um, but it's also really exciting because we have an opportunity to really um, rethink what our own organizations and what this industry can be and needs to be uh, to to meet the 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 moment and you know and at times it can seem that the set of you know um, you know almost overwhelming number of competing and interlocking crises is 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 almost like out of control but that means that we have an enormous opportunity to continue to make a difference but we need to be willing to rethink how we do that. I love that. What I love about that is flipping it from this is a scary time to wow, look at this great opportunity that we have. You know, if the house is going to burn down, I don't know if that's the right metaphor. What do we want? Hopefully not. <laughs> I don't, I just like that metaphor though. Let's burn the house down. But if the house is getting a little not fit for purpose anymore, we need to readjust the house. What do we want it to look like? Let's do that. Not, you know, so I, I love that that you just gave us well and if i may just another minute because it's uh, you know because i i don't think we're in a burning house or in a burning platform right this is not sort of an immediate threat like but that's what makes it both a, a good thing but also a challenge because it's easier to change when you're on a burning platform right and we're not quite there yet but if we want to avoid being in burning platforms we need to start changing now and and getting people sort of motivated excited and visualizing what that can be in an environment where the threat is not tomorrow but in 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 some future time that that is part of the challenge of leadership today i think and i'm glad that we got there because it that that is a nuance and then we're talking about being proactive and and it's so with so many challenges, it's easy to just always be reactive. And so you're talking about taking time, thinking about it, and then working with people to why we have to do this now when there's some other things that seem more pressing. I think that's yeah. very important. Yeah, Tessie, I I could do this with you every week. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, for sharing with us, um, for talking about your thinking, for being so also so forthright and and yourself showing your authenticity. So thank you for that. Thank you, Lynn. This was this has been great. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks everyone. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.